Hello, everyone. My name is Corey Hamilton, and I'm a partner within IBM Security. I'd like to welcome you to our LinkedIn Live event entitled Banking Security Modernization, Addressing Threats, Compliance, and Talent. We've got a great panel joining me today. We've got Sandy Boaje, Managing Director and Global Head of Tech Risk Intelligence, Digital Assets, Cybersecurity, and Digital Transformation at BNP Paribas. Sandy, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Corey. Also joining us is Javier Garcia, the Head of Information Security, Corporate and Investment Banking at BBVA US. Sending and Javier, thank you both very much for taking the time to discuss this relevant, this very relevant topic. Uh, to our audience, you know, as we progress through our program and as you've got questions, feel free to post and provide comments and we'll do our best to stay on track and be able to respond to those at the end. So last week, IBM Security released its X-Force Threat Intelligence Index for 2023. You know, this report is based on data collected from real-world attacks and sheds light on recent trends, you know, defining the threat landscape. So I'd like to share just a couple of highlights to kind of prime our conversation before we get to it. So first, uh, kind of trend, you know, phishing operations continued to be the top pathway to compromise in 2022, with over 41% of incidents uh, remediated, use this technique to gain initial access. Point number two, you know, threat actors sought to extort money from victims in more than 25% of all incidents. And the third and final kind of point here is that 26% of 2022's vulnerabilities had known exploits. So your remediations were known and these uh, vulnerabilities were still exploited. So given that the threat environment continues to evolve and grow in sophistication, you know, there are more cyber threats than ever before. Sandy, what's your perspective on how financial services companies should be balancing cyber risk with the other important business objectives that you all face? Thank you, Corey. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, uh, in, in, in context of this particular question, uh, I think the different options based on the, the size of the institution, the geography they operate. Uh, but generally, I'm kind of a big uh, uh, fan of uh, top-down, bottom-up approach. Uh, essentially, you look into uh, the current landscape, uh, the regulatory challenges, the country's environment, and then also look into uh, what keeps management awake at the night, and then try to kind of blend it in terms of something that comes in between as a based approach that works for business and also that works for cyber security. So that I have seen works uh, better in terms of building a cyber program that aligns with business objectives and um, also then kind of meets underlying requirements. But you're taking into account essentially what are the key priorities for business, uh, what is their worst nightmare scenario, and then work backwards in terms of meeting your essentially the core IT challenges, but also trying to catch up with business. And, and another element related to that also is uh, keeping an eye on the future, so whether it is AI, whether it is blockchain, what does that mean and what that evolution will mean in terms of changes related to the, uh, the, the IT and then making sure that you're aligning with it. I think that's equally important as well. Okay. Great point, Sandeep. So, you know, talking about these these IT kind of strategy progression of the business, you know, I'll say that many financial services companies are really undergoing their digital transformations, you know, which enables certainly a wide variety of, I'll say, opportunities uh, to unlock potential uh, value, but also vulnerabilities at the same time. You know, so I guess I'll pose this question to Javier, you know, how would how should cyber risk and cybersecurity teams be adapting to new technology while maintaining their cybersecurity posture? 
Hello, Tori, and thanks for having me today. So basically, what I would say is still that the most important uh, thing is to, to think about the, a concept that is security by design, like having a, the security teams involved in all the digital transformation initiatives from inception so they understand from the very beginning of the of the projects what are the implications and how that uh, those implications translate to security uh, concerns uh, what i think has uh, been really uh, helpful in our organization is having like focal points like people security advocates that are embedded in the different uh, uh, business units that are working on uh, digital transformation so that's something that is uh, to me key so you avoid in the future you know uh, having to to go back and re- do reward redesign of things that uh, uh, are going to impact the the uh, time to market of the of the initiatives uh, i think something also that at the end is uh, uh, it's about risk management, and I think you have to have a strong, a strong uh, uh, risk admission process. So you uh, evaluate the risk of the depending on the technologies and depending on the the how how uh, complex and how uh, um, new is that uh, that initiative will will. Uh, be good to 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 risk a score and uh, take from there the different actions. So I will say that the, as a, as a summary, I will say that the security by design is the the best approach to deal with that. And uh, in BBVA, we've been uh, through a very long uh, digital transformation journey, and I think it, it has uh, been working pretty well. Yeah, yeah. On the security by design, you know, it's certainly you know I think embedded in all of our minds. You know, but one of the areas that I've seen is certainly you know security is. Uh, I guess say making that horizontal across the organization, so it's no longer part of you know the last stage when it comes to rollout apps or the 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 last you know traffic cop to say no you can't do something, but it's embedding that organization across the various business units at all levels. So uh, certainly agree with there with the kind of in, integrating security by design there. Um, you know, one of the areas that I'd also like to bring up that I think is certainly relevant is the importance of machine learning and artificial intelligence or AI within the cybersecurity space. Uh, Sandeep, can you share your perspective on how financial services companies can implement these technologies to better protect their businesses? Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, there is quite good consensus, particularly with machine learning and AI. Uh, if you look at financial services, uh, broadly everyone agrees uh, that fraud is the number one use case uh, when you look at adoption of uh, AI and machine learning and how it can help you essentially control, manage uh, fraud, uh, uh, reduce your operational losses. So I think uh, when we go around in terms of business priorities and how AI can be potentially used, uh, fraud definitely stands out as one use case where AI can be implemented and there can be very good quick wins in terms of late reduction in uh, the the fraud losses. Uh, The second area we do see is uh, compliance and and, and, uh, that that also has a potential in terms of how do we make sure that we stay on top of uh, compliance requests, whether it is regulatory audits, whether it is regulations, both. And and, and that kind of uh, uh, added value again of leveraging AI and machine learning technologies. And uh, the third one is uh, we do see uh, the 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 use in um, uh, risk function itself. I'm part of a risk function. <coughs> Apologies. Um, 
I'm part of the risk function and we do see wider use, particularly from a, let us say, credit risk perspective or market risk perspective, how AI and machine learning technologies can be used. And the last one is cyber itself, which also has a good usage, whether it is security operation centers or, or automated reporting, etc. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Sandeep. And, you know, I'll just uh, kind of, uh, you know, ramp up on that one and we'll get to this topic, but we all know that the shortage of cyber staffing is, is certainly a thing. So I'd just like to add into there that, you know, the ability to withstand to the amount of threats in our environment, you know, it's getting to a point where people cannot uh, catch up. So getting out of that machine learning, uh, you know, platforms and implementation of those, that that's the only way to keep pace with the, the future environment that we're facing here. So talking about kind of the future environment, certainly, you know, hybrid multi-cloud, you know, prevalent across our industry. I think most people have started to make that move to cloud or move to cloud, move to clouds. Um, Javier, you know, how do you as a cyber security and risk leader really communicate the threats and challenges of operating this environment to, say, non-security business leaders? Yeah, so so uh, basically, I think it's... Cloud is something that uh, uh, is uh, also the, the, the cyber risk is, uh, is, is uh, probably it, it doesn't change that much. Uh, is uh, you know it's, it's about uh, uh, how you do things in the cloud and how you prevent the uh, cyber risk within the cloud. I think you need to be very aware that the the, the model that you have is different. You have uh, depending on the on the type of uh, uh, approach that you have uh, in the cloud, if it's a SaaS or it's a pass, you have different uh, responsibility, uh, service responsibility models, so you're not responsible for everything. But I will I will say that when uh, going back, going to the senior level executives and how to communicate to them, I will say that we need to align the messages with the business uh, objectives. You have to be very, very simple in the messages, but I, I will say also that uh, compliance probably is one of the top uh, 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 concerns uh, uh, for for senior leaders. Also, any any reputation, reputational impact that we could have for having something something in uh, that uh, whatever breach we could have in the in the in the, in the cloud. Uh, and I think at the end, uh, we'll, uh, I think senior leaders already know pretty well about operational risk. So I think. Uh, Cybersecurity at the end is also about operational risk. So if you translate messages in that language, I, I think they are going to be familiar with that. And uh, uh, with also working uh, and all, and I think it's something that is uh, across pretty much most of the organizations in the industry. Uh, board and uh, management committees are already very aware of cyber risk. So. This is another component, uh, and another component that is becoming even more more important because uh, we are uh, increasingly using uh, cloud for many new uh, initiatives and for many new business uh, uh, functions. So I think uh, at the end uh, we, we have to make them aware of the of the situation. Okay, and you know, Sandeep, I'd like to give you an opportunity. You know, how are you know, cyber risk, uh, security and risk leaders communicating this, uh, you know, threat of hybrid cloud environments. You know, what's your perspective on this one? So, <clears throat> apologies for my throat. Um, um, I think plain English is key uh, to, to essentially explain the concepts in a non-technical language. Uh, also, um, what's important is to 
uh, articulate, and I use this term security of the cloud and security in the cloud to, to help them understand where do the service provider responsibility start in terms of managing security and risk, and where essentially the financial institutions responsibility starts in terms of taking control of those security risks. Uh, also, equally important uh, is to uh, make it clear in terms of, let us say, uh, whether it's criticality of a particular application or availability of a uh, particular application or workload, uh, how essentially the cloud journey is going to support that and what is really feasible in a particular uh, time frame. So at least the business expectations are, are managed. Um, what's also important is uh, looking into almost like wider, uh, I, I would say, cloud posture. And in terms of, let us say, having some sort of a, uh, cloud security posture management overview in terms of dashboards and reporting and sharing certain metrics, not all of it, uh, which will be understandable and useful for uh, the non technical business stakeholders. And the last one would be top cloud in terms of ecosystem. Because when you implement cloud, you're trying to implement cloud for certain uh, capabilities and use cases, data, AI, blockchain. So then it's very important to also articulate that why we are, for example, doing certain things in public cloud, why we are doing certain things uh, on-premises or in the hybrid cloud, so that business is able to understand the decisions being made based on the ecosystem and where essentially there is some work going on with certain community to, to produce something more. So for example, fintechs, uh, they may be in a public cloud in a particular place and you can't bring them into your on-premise data center. So you have to go there and maybe they did a use case for essentially adopting certain portion of public cloud. So I think having that conversation uh, in the context of cloud as an ecosystem and why you then need to have that multi-cloud journey and how it will be managed is very important. Okay, thank you, Cindy. So, you know, I think we certainly can talk about, you know, the, the, the move to cloud, but then there's also a whole host of security regulations that are, that are uh, coming into play in the immediate future. You know, Javier, you know, certainly want to get your perspective on this. So, you know, with with these new uh, cyber regulations coming to place, you know, how should financial services companies uh, adapt to that? Yeah, so, so, so in a, in a high regulated environment like uh, ours, the compliance is becoming a, a comp cybersecurity compliance is becoming a really overwhelming task. And that's not only because of, you know, what we, we need to, to do to comply with the new requirement, but also because the amount of uh, time we devote to uh, to provide evidence that we comply, you know, because at the end it's uh, not, on, not only our internal lines of defense, but also examiners or uh, at the stations that we, we have to go through. So at the end, uh, we, we, we uh, uh, invest a lot of time in, in, in reporting that we are in good shape. So I will say that the key, key things that uh, we should do is obviously plan ahead, uh, be really aware of uh, what is coming, uh, starting to evaluate uh, what is your gap, and uh, plan ahead of time to, to be you know, in compliance and in good shape. Uh, uh, the sooner, the, the better. Uh, other thing that I, I will say that it helps me is to be in abreast of uh, what's going on in the, on the industry, like being a, a 
uh, in different uh, work in the industry working groups helps me a lot to you know to understand how others uh, solve same same uh, problems how they how they uh, um, resolve the, the compliance requirements and uh, because sometimes you know com- uh, the regulations are a bit vague so you, you could take different approaches to, to uh, solve the, the requirements. So I think it's very good to have like a, with you in, industry peers being touched so you know you know uh, how they, they have solved the, the issues. And, and at the end also, I think uh, uh, regardless the, the the regulations, you have to have a, a strong secu- information security program. You have to stick to a specific uh, uh, framework, you know, uh, track your progress, with the, the with your maturity progress, uh, the, the maturity of your program against this this uh, framework, like uh, we use uh, in CSF, but there are many many others that can be used. And later, uh, I think you can um, uh, map uh, your uh, framework with the different regulations. So at the end, uh, when it comes to you know to the time to do to demonstrate that you comply, you can map your framework, your controls. With, uh, with with the with the different regulations, this is something that usually is is uh, really well done for by the different uh, by the different uh, agencies that have frameworks or uh, companies that uh, build a uh, build a framework for to do so. So that's basically my 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 uh, point here. Okay. And you know, Sandeep, I'd love to give you uh, you know an opportunity to respond here, but. You know, what's what's your perspective coming new security regulations getting rolled out? You know, that seems like every other week there's a new regulation that's coming out somewhere globally. You know, what's your insights on this? How to respond here? I can relate it to the previous question. I think uh, how do you leverage machine learning and AI? Even when it comes to regulations, uh, I don't think we have done enough. Uh, almost like using some machine learning AI technology to continuously scan these regulations, the drafts, uh, almost like certain guidelines, and convert them into controls. So there are a lot of uh, companies trying to go in that direction. So I think the first challenge is how do you essentially uh, quickly analyze all the regulations, understand the implications, and then try to kind of implement those changes on the ground. Uh, the second is uh, the traceability. So sometimes you have understanding of the technology, you don't have traceability, and how, how will you essentially uh, demonstrate compliance? So that's that's another part. So uh, one is leveraging uh, AIML uh, to essentially have some capability to continuously scan, monitor regulations. Second is then extending it in terms of some sort of uh, controls and then having traceability. Uh, so it also then kind of takes you in the direction of some sort of automated, uh, uh, some sort of automated capability where you are able to do that. So my suggestion is one, of course, uh, leverage AIML. Uh, there is a lot of manual work going on in the industry at the moment. Have have some some more fully automated full automation in terms of integration, in terms of uh, implementation as well. And then I fully agree with Xavier. I think community is the key. Uh, if you look at, for example, in Europe, uh, there is a Digital Operational Resiliency Act coming into force, and it's quite focused on your critical third parties. And then that's where then you can actually talk to the community, understand uh, what the community is doing in terms of solving certain regulatory challenges, and then work with them. So you don't have to again reinvent the wheel. 
Uh, you can probably look into other financial institutions who have done it better and then follow that model. So I would say uh, leveraging AI, working with the community, and having some sort of automation is really, really important uh, in getting a handle on this uh, topic. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you both here. And so I'll kind of, you know, wrap up here with just one last question and I'll save the best for last. And for me, I say that the best is people. You know, we certainly know uh, that there is a talent shortage within our cybersecurity industry and we know that our biggest differentiator is our people. So to Javier, kind of over to you first, you know, how can FS companies really compete and keep their critical cyber staff? Yeah, so, so when it comes to, to hire externally, I think one, one very obvious, uh, very important thing is to, go to, to try to hire at the market rate because there, there is a lot of competition for, for uh, cybersecurity talent. So I think you, you have to have that very clear. Secondly, I think uh, you can also think about hiring internally. Uh, what I mean is maybe there are uh, people uh, within the organization working with uh, the, maybe with, with not the, uh, the cybersecurity skill set, but with the uh, sufficient, I would say, IT acumen and uh, with the ability to, to, to cover that gap uh, shortly. And I think uh, in, in our case, uh, it has worked really, really well. So, and especially if you work within our big organization, uh, you, you will have opportunities to, to, to do that. Uh, another thing that I think we need to do is to convince uh, uh, the organization uh, that uh, that the you require budget, and you require uh, with the budget comes the the, the team, and without without that, uh, obviously, uh, you can uh, move forward with, with your information security program. To keep the talent, I would say that the best thing to do would be to have a, a inspiring information security program, and, a, and a, you know something that uh, that because. Top talent wants to, to be challenged, wants to do things that that really they think that they are they are making a difference, you know. So I think uh, uh, at the end uh, the, the team wants to to to, to, to be uh, involved uh, in, in something that uh, that they think uh, is, is is challenging and, and it's important for the bank and uh, uh, that, that will per se motivate them. Okay, so I, I will say this, those are the key factors. So hiring externally at a market rate, looking internally to other possibilities, also having a like a strong information security program and a good strategy, I think per se will motivate the top talent. Okay. Uh, Sandeep, your perspective on how we can keep our, you know, top critical cybersecurity talent? So, I'll probably put uh, the line from the beginning by Jack Welch. I think compensation does matter. But generally, we are all looking for two things in life, voice and dignity. And, and that's what is, I think it all boils down to. Uh, are you giving the right opportunity for individuals to do certain things, uh, uh, giving them the opportunity respect to, to, uh, to carry out uh, their, their day-to-day activities? So I think compensation does play its role, but it's equally important to have the top-down communication. How do they fit into the overall, essentially, the large picture? Sometimes, and particularly the new generation, uh, if you don't tell them where they fit in the larger picture, 
they will struggle uh, and, and, and that becomes quite a challenge to handle. Uh, of course, uh, training and certification, the professional development plays its part, particularly in cyber security. Having some sort of a simulation or a lab for individuals to test their capability is equally important because if you're a technical uh, individual, you want to test your skills continuously. So just doing some training and certification or attending conferences is, is just not enough. Uh, rotation plays a big role. So you can be in audit, you can be, then get into some sort of a policy governance, then you can go on intelligence. So rotation also allows people to experience different things. So I would say internal mobility is key. Even within cyber function, you can have different mobility and roles for individuals to be ready for their next probably opportunity. And uh, I equally say cyber security is stressful. So, so I think what tools uh, we can provide for people to deal with mental health and the stress is equally important. So, and that goes beyond the compensation as well because uh, absolutely cyber security is very demanding. So, how are you essentially then helping individuals cope with? Uh, the, the stress that the job uh, brings to people. And, and then in general, I think work-life balance is equally important, will change by country, the company you work in. Uh, but I think that also plays part uh, in terms of uh, attracting and retaining uh, the cyber talent. Yeah, yeah great points, uh, both of you. And, and Sandeep, you know, I know we've kind of talked about this uh, previously, but, you know, as we're in, as we as a you know, society are coming out of a post-pandemic era and we're used to sitting on, you know, WebExes literally, you know, 24-7 in meetings. And then when you get to that, to that, you know, there's something that's kind of lost when you get back to the office or you get to an organization, get into an organization. You know, I think it's certainly something critical to keep in mind that it's going to be this mix of, I'll say, uh, you know, in-person slash remote and kind of combining those two and not everything's the same for, you know, each individual person. So being able to, you know, manage leading that team and, you know, ensure that you're doing best for your team, being flexible, you know, rigidness doesn't work, you know, for this, we're working with, uh, you know, a, a group of team members that's potentially, uh, you know, various different ages, various different backgrounds, have various levels of experience. So being flexible, you know, I really uh, appreciate, you know, that, that comment because I think that's right on where we need to be here. So I, I, I guess I'd really like to, you know, just summarize some of the, the themes that, you know, kind of we've heard here in the past, whatever, six or seven questions. But, you know, when it comes to security and, you know, uh, pushing forward within the organization, you know, communicating in plain English, how critical that is, you know, certainly sooner is better. Not, you know, pushing security left or integrating up front is certainly a theme that kind of uh, resonated. Alignment to a security framework, certainly, you know, you've got to have a, a, a industry recognized framework to build out your program, too. Um, when it comes to, you know, the staffing, the internal mobility, training and education, absolutely critical here to combat the threats. And then I'll say that, you know, that alignment of security activities to the business goals and objectives, that's probably one that's the most critical, you know, yes, we're not doing security for security's sake. We're doing security to enable the business, to enable the business to prosper, to protect customer data, to protect our own internal data. 
you know, and then the last one I think is, you know, probably gained more ground than others is kind of working across ecosystems in the community, whether it's, you know, organizations that move to the cloud and they realize that it's just not one cloud, that it's multiple, that they've got broad ecosystems of security partners, internal vendors, external vendors that they really do have to work across the community. So Sandeep and Javier, you know, I certainly appreciate you taking your time away from your busy days. I know valuable time. I know, you know, nobody's, you know, just sitting at their keyboard waiting for things to do in the security world. So certainly appreciate you taking the time to discuss these uh, critical topics. Thank you, Cody. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And to our audience, you know, I know, don't think we've got any questions, but if you have questions, you know, please feel free to make a comment on the page and we'll do our best to kind of address those, uh, you know, and follow up. Um, to those also, if you haven't downloaded the threat report, you know, highly suggest you do so. There are great nuggets of information that will help you kind of analyze the risk, allocate resources, and really just understand the threats that your business is, is facing. So with that, I will wrap up this LinkedIn Live, and thank you all very much for joining.